Hey, history lovers. I'm Mike Rosenwald with Retropod, a show about the past rediscovered. In 1956, six decades before Florida man was arrested for allegedly mailing bombs to critics of President Donald Trump, three members of New York City's bomb squad went to see a psychiatrist. They weren't patients, but they were desperate. For 16 years, a man known only as the Mad Bomber had been detonating pipe bombs around the city, in movie theaters, at Grand Central Station, the New York Public Library. Dozens of people were severely wounded by more than 20 bombs. Without any hard evidence to go on, the detectives went to see the shrink, an unheard-of investigatory tactic back then now known as criminal profiling. In his book Incendiary, historian Michael Cannell wrote that if physical evidence could not lead the police to a suspect, maybe emotional insights could. And so, upon the desk of Dr. James A. Brussel, the deputy commissioner of the New York State Department of Mental Hygiene, Captain Howard Finney laid out what little evidence investigators had to go on. Photographs of bombs that didn't detonate, crime scene reports, and most importantly, letters the bomber had sent to newspapers, signed as FP, that railed against the world, but mostly the electric company Con Ed. Brussels studied the evidence for more than two hours. Then, Cannell wrote, he turned to Captain Finney and described his fugitive, right down to the cut of his jacket. The bomber, Brussels said, was a paranoid schizophrenic and likely believed someone or some entity was controlling or plotting against him. He probably had a lot of workplace grudges. The bomber was not fat or skinny. He was symmetrically built. Captain Finney was like, huh? Brussels cited studies showing 17 of 20 paranoids had athletic builds. Okay, then. Anyway, the handwriting in his letters was perfect, Brussels said, so he was a perfectionist and likely a very good employee where he worked. Also, he was neatly groomed and cared about his appearance. Then Brussel went even deeper. He suspected the bomber was an immigrant, likely of Slavic descent. How could he be so specific? For one thing, in his letters, the mad bomber used a stilted tone and words such as treachery and dastardly deeds, phrases someone American-born wouldn't use. But Slavic? Well, the psychiatrist explained that bombs and knives were tools of Middle Europe. The bomber, of course, used bombs, but he also used knives to cut holes into places where he planted his devices. When one man uses both, that suggests he could be a Slav, Brussel explained. Okay. There was a sexual frustration component to Brussel's analysis that boiled down to the mad bomber likely being unmarried with little to no romance in his life. And since Slavs prized family ties, he most likely lived with someone not unlike his mother. Oh, and something else. The letters were mailed from Westchester County, about halfway from New York and Connecticut, where many Slavs had settled. So the Mad Bomber probably lived in Connecticut and mailed his letters from Westchester as a cover. But the shrink wasn't finished, 
Kinnell wrote. When you catch him, Russell said, and I have no doubt you will, he'll be wearing a double-breasted suit. Button, too. The investigators left. In a matter of weeks, they acted on a key piece of advice from Dr. Brussel. Leak the doctor's psychological hunches. That might draw out the mad bomber, who likely yearned for acknowledgement. After the New York Times printed some of Brussel's theories, the New York Journal American, feeling scooped, decided to up the ante by writing and printing an open letter to the bomber imploring him to give himself up. You can guess what happened next. The mad bomber wrote back, over and over, each time revealing more details about himself. He was injured at Con Ed, it turned out. He had filed claims that went nowhere. At one point, he even revealed the date of his injury, September 5th, 1931. Detectives and Con Ed employees scrambled through employee records. In red ink, in one of the files, these words were written, injustice and permanent disability. They went deeper into the file. The employee was injured in a boiler explosion. The date of injury, September 5th, 1931. In his complaint, he used the phrase, dastardly deeds. The police had their suspect, George Metesky. He lived in Waterbury, Connecticut, in a working-class neighborhood of European immigrants. Detectives went there to quietly investigate. Metesky was Slavic. He had a medium build. He lived with his sisters. Amazing. And when they awakened him in the middle of the night, asking him to get dressed, Metesky emerged from his bedroom Kennell wrote, wearing sensible brown rubber-soled shoes, red-dotted necktie, a brown cardigan sweater, and a double-breasted suit. No word on whether it was buttoned, as Brussel predicted. The courts deemed Metesky insane and sent him to a state mental hospital. In 1973, after doctors declared he was no longer dangerous, he was released. He died in 1994. I have no intention, he told the Times before his release, of resorting to any form of violence. I've found that at this particular time, the pen is mightier than the sword. I'm Mike Rosenwald. Thanks for listening. For more forgotten stories from history, visit WashingtonPost.com slash Retropod.